Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project, season four, episode number 15. And today we've got kind of like a three part, not a three part series, but a three part episode. <laughs> Broke it into three parts. I am doing a video version again for those of you who are on Patreon and or YouTube channel membership. So perks. Uh, basically, yeah, this is what I've been trying to wrap my head around. I think I mentioned this in a in a previous episode, but um, a couple weeks ago, after we had finished the quote-unquote secret series, I was a little unsure of where to go in terms of like, you know, not giving everybody whiplash by just changing topics so fast after we had spent so many weeks on something. And I had I actually just did a call on Twitter. I did the little thing where you can post a story and it, it does the question and everything. So I did a call for people to go like, hey, you know, uh, what would be a great show topic? So not like a question and answer thing where everyone just sort of sends in, you know, you can blast through 20 questions in an episode or something. But what is a suggestion for a topic that would be interesting? I thought that would be helpful, especially if the same thing popped up multiple times and it's like, hey, this is probably something that the people who listen to this actually want to know more about instead of just me guessing so that's that's you know super helpful um and i got a lot of great responses so i actually just saved them that was a few weeks ago and you know we went through that episode but i've been i've been kind of like hanging on to a few other responses that i thought were really good but probably not necessarily something i could do an entire episode about i mean i could but you know <laughs> without making it sound like I needed to drag it on. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on today, basically, is I, I found three that I think fit together for anybody who is, you know, an online content creator or a YouTube creator. I think these are really great topics, and I definitely have, you know, thoughts to share about them. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, I've got three three topics that were shared with me on Instagram a few weeks ago, and we'll jump straight into that. Now, I did also get a comment this past week uh, somebody was asking <laughs> were you using the shore sm7b on the most recent podcast and uh yes i was and i'm using it right now uh because it's let me just talk for a second about the shore sm7b because i have a very mixed relationship with this microphone this has nothing to do with any of the topics we were going to talk about but i think you know for those of you who are listening i know a lot of you do podcasting a lot of you do streaming if you're in that world and you're trying to up your audio, you're going to come across the good old Shure SM7B. And it's a great mic. Um, my first encounter with this microphone actually was not that positive because I didn't understand it. And I didn't know what it was for. This was about seven years ago. I had upgraded, you know, some stuff at, at a school I was working for. We got a bunch of SM7Bs and they actually sounded worse than just the video shotgun mics that we were using before. And I was very disappointed in them. Obviously, I learned it wasn't the best room for them. We didn't have cloud lifters, all kinds of things. And so that was my fault. <laughs> I then, of course, learned it's a very good microphone. You know, I've built several studios at different schools for, based around the SM7B. However, when it came to like my own setup and stuff, I never bought one because um, honestly, just because everybody else had them. And that was like the most, I don't know. <laughs> the most hipster thing I could do was be like, everyone's using this, so I'm not going to. And the reason for that is because it's expensive. It's $400. I mean, not that that's the most expensive mic in the world, but I just figure for $400, there's so many options out there. There's things like the pod mic, there's 
the cool, you know, Shure Super 55 Unidyne retro mics. There's there's just so many options if you're going to spend that much money. And you might not even have to spend that much money to get something that's amazing for you. And what I was seeing was people were just sort of like seeing the SM7B everywhere and just going, that's the one I got to get. And then spending maybe more money than they needed to on a microphone that might not actually be the best fit for them. And so I kind of consciously was like, I'm not going to spend 400 bucks on an SM7B. And I didn't. Sweetwater Sound actually gave me this one, uh, which is super nice of them specifically so I could use it when I do like comparisons and reviews because people have questions. But this is the reason I'm telling you this <laughs> is not only did someone pick it out last week, um, but when I got this SM7B, my own a few months ago and and connected it, <laughs> As soon as I connected it, I literally laughed out loud because of how good it sounded without doing anything to it. It was just like, part of me was like, dang it. I didn't want it to sound good because I wanted to be more justified in in exploring all these other options, which I still think is true. But dang, it's a really good sounding mic. It's an easy mic to work with. Like As long as you have enough gain, it's a very easy mic. You know, I get it. I get it. So anyway... I'm using it here. Clearly, uh, it was noticeable, but you know, there's so many different. Well, microphones are a whole separate thing. But anyway, if you're watching the video version, you're like, "Hey, he's using that, not a pod mic." I am. I've been using it a lot lately, but also I was lazy and I didn't want to connect <laughs> any other microphones this morning. So, I'm on the SM7B today. Anyway, that was a tangent. Let's jump into the stuff that we actually, you know, the the, the stuff you came here for. So the first topic suggestion, this again came from Instagram. This came from Matt Porter 32. So if you want to follow the creator of this question for creators, you can follow at Matt Porter 32. Um, and he was just suggesting a topic that's all based around the YouTube slash creator relationship. And if you're somebody who creates on YouTube, this is probably something you're kind of familiar with. And if you're not somebody who creates, you've probably heard people who run channels talk about YouTube in some way or another. Obviously, I do it a ton on this podcast, but I basically never do it on my actual YouTube channel. Um, then I'm sure you've heard people talk about being demonetized or suppressed or any of the other number of things that, that can come along with making videos for YouTube. And there can sometimes be this sort of us versus them relationship or or tribalism, I don't know what you want to call it, between the people who create on the YouTube platform and the, the people who run the YouTube platform. And then there's also the YouTube viewers who are just sort of also in there in the middle. And it's this funny thing because the viewers, the just the, the person who maybe you have an account, maybe you don't, but you go to YouTube, you watch some videos, you don't create anything. It's easy to be like, well, I'm the customer. I'm going here and I'm consuming things. Not really. You need to be there. They need viewers, but you're not the customer. And then the people who create stuff for YouTube, it's easy to be like, look, I'm putting content on this platform so that people are coming here. If, if people didn't make content, no one would be on this platform, right? So it's for us. We're the, we're the customers. No. <laughs> and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. The advertisers are the customers on YouTube. It's not an earth shattering revelation, but they're the people who are actually paying YouTube money to run ads. And then YouTube wants more people to create videos so that people will watch them and then they can play more ads and they can charge more for them. That's that's the whole thing. So the actual customers in terms of where the revenue is coming from are advertisers. 
But the other two obviously play into it. You need people creating content. You need people consuming that content so that the customers actually want to buy that ad space. And so it can create this like sometimes what seems like a hostile relationship because you know, creators feel that sometimes YouTube doesn't make good choices or doesn't handle things well or doesn't treat them right. And I think sometimes that's very justified. And, you know, there's a lot of cases of that. But here are my thoughts on on this. And I've thought about this a lot. So when it comes to the YouTube and the creator relationship, I think there's a few ways to look at it. The most practical way is that it's very unlikely that anybody is outright trying to be evil or trying to do something bad. Maybe, maybe there are people who work at YouTube who are, have less than, uh, you know, less than good intentions. But the same thing goes, like there are definitely YouTube creators who have less than good intentions and well and abuse the platforms and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think on in general, I don't think anyone's trying to do anything evil. Although... <laughs> I don't know if, if you remember this, but YouTube, not YouTube, Google had their mission statement for years from the time they were founded in the 90s. They had like their 10 principles. And the first one was don't be evil. And uh, a couple of years ago, I forget exactly what year, they removed that. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I mean, they just redid their mission statement, their vision statement, but they took that out. I don't think that is implying that their mission is now to be evil but it's concerning that it was active <laughs> that not being evil was actively removed. However, I really don't think that at least in the case of YouTube, I really don't think that people are trying to be actively evil for the most part. I think it's just a numbers game. There are so many people, both creators and viewers, and there's no way even with a giant team and and all the stuff, there's just no way to handle that. In, in a very personable way for the most part, which is why they rely so heavily on algorithms and artificial intelligence and you know automated things because there's just too much stuff happening. And even a giant tech team is gonna be too small to deal with that. And I think that's something to remember is it's not that they're trying to be terrible. It's just, you know, it's not just, it's not just you and your channel, there's, I forget how many, 30 million active channels. I don't know. There's tens of millions of active channels out there, billions of active users. And that's a lot to go through and a lot to deal with. And what is it? You know, 800 hours of content uploaded every minute. It's a lot. To, it's a lot to manage. It's a lot to go through. And sometimes you can fall, fall through the cracks because what I think naturally just happens with YouTube is if you're somebody who's creating and you're running a great channel, I mean, they're happy, right? Like, whether or not they're aware of who you are, if you're at that level or not, they're happy that you're there and creating content and growing and maybe earning some revenue. But if you leave, they're not going to miss you. They'll just have somebody else there in no time taking that spot. So it's not like, you know, it, it can feel like, what, I don't, I'm doing all this work and I don't really matter. And it's like, eh, kind of, but you're given the platform, you know, you're given the ability to create stuff and share it with the whole world for free and earn revenue on it and, you know, potentially build a business around it or whatever. So yeah, you know, just, just do that the best you can. And that's kind of always how I look at it is the opportunity of YouTube is so huge. And whenever there's all these calls, you're like, creators are going to leave and go to a different platform 
that is something that could happen one day. I just can't think of any platform that it's not even about having the traffic because, you know, we a lot of us lived through the MySpace to Facebook transition where everybody was on MySpace and then suddenly nobody was and everybody was on Facebook and Facebook was super cool, which is now funny, like not really the case. I don't think this is the same thing with YouTube because literally the infrastructure in terms of like handling, processing, outputting that much video content constantly there, there are just so few places that, that even have that in store. So you could say, like, here's a video site that prioritizes creators and this, that, and the other thing. Cool. They probably can't handle the quantity of that. And the quantity of YouTube is what's really bringing so many people there. It, it's just, you know, it's just kind of that thing. If you really look at it right now, there's not any actual competitor that can handle the amount of content and the amount of eyeballs and it's the amount of content that keeps bringing the eyeballs back. So that could change in the future. Like I don't, I definitely don't don't want to speak in definites. But for now, that's that's you know that's just kind of how it is there. And so there's a there's a few things to kind of go off from there. Again, I don't think YouTube is actively trying to be evil. I, I've noticed just in the last few years huge improvements in how they try to communicate. They've even admitted, look, we've been bad at communicating with creators. They'll just make a change, not really tell anyone about it. They've been really good at trying to improve that. I even needed some tech support help, some YouTube help the other day for this video podcast, actually, the video version of this podcast, because I I shared this with channel members and Patreon supporters, and I didn't know so a couple years ago at my job, I had uploaded a short film that some students had made to our YouTube channel. And that was cool. A couple years went by and I forgot that I had uploaded it and I wanted to upload this short film. So I re-uploaded the same file and I got like a lot of mean messages in the YouTube studio thing of like, you've already uploaded this, can't do that. It's auto- automatically deleted, like all this stuff. And so I was like, oh, okay. They really don't want you to upload the same video more than once, fine. Didn't know that, didn't intend to do that. But in order to do this, I shared this vi- the video version of this podcast with YouTube channel members. And in order to do that, you upload it. And when you publish it, you mark it as for members only. When you do that, you can't share the link with anyone else. Only channel members have access to it. So in order to share it on Patreon, also, I upload it again and then have it just list- unlisted so I can put the link on Patreon so everyone over there can get it too, which means... I'm uploading the same video twice. Hasn't been a problem so far, so far, but I wanted to make sure that I, you know, before this became like a part of my workflow, I wanted to make sure I wasn't violating terms of service or anything. So I did a YouTube chat and like literally I had a real person on the other end of the chat line in less than a minute. And then it probably took us like 25 minutes to actually sort of figure out things. And he was super helpful and, you know, like, he was like taking time to research my question, to try to dig through the terms of service, to ask follow-up questions. He was apologizing when there was a delay. Ultimately, I didn't really get a great answer because he was like, I think you're fine as long as the content doesn't violate the terms of service. Um, And I'm not monetizing any of these, so there's no issue there. Um, He's like, it's kind of a, there's nothing specifically says you can or can't do it, but as long as it doesn't violate the terms of service, you should be fine. That was pretty much where we ended up. So maybe that info is helpful to you. But I was really impressed. All in all, you know, it took about a half hour to do, but I had the person on the 
the line within 60 seconds or on the chat thing. I didn't know you could do that. It's, it was definitely hard to dig through and find the chat window. Like they, they want that to be your last resort. But once you find it, it worked really well. I was very impressed. It's like, wow, this is very cool. Like creator customer service kind of a thing. And that's, and I've seen more improvements like that. I also know that when you have billions of active users, your company, your organization is never going to make a decision that's going to make everybody happy. It's just not going to be possible. So you kind of do the best you can with what you got. And, you know, a lot of times people will kick and scream when something changes or something's different. And then in a few months, they completely forget about it. You may or may not remember a few years ago when YouTube changed their logo. That was uh, like almost protest level, you know, like anger. And uh, most people forgot that they changed their logo now at this point. So, uh, you know, I think they're also just used to that is what happens when you make decisions. Now, going off of that, I've had people, um, I've talked to other YouTube creators and people who do it full time. And I've noticed a theme of a few people who really, really dislike YouTube, even though they're on it, you know, they like the ability to, to use YouTube, but they really dislike the platform. They've had an experience that was bad. And they really do think that YouTube is mean, evil, out to get them, that kind of stuff. And I can understand the frustration. I still don't think that that's the case, that they're actively doing anything like that. But I've had enough people tell me that that's how they feel. And their reaction is obviously not to then base everything around YouTube. So in my opinion... I don't think that YouTube is evil. I don't think that they're actively trying to be evil. I think they make mistakes sometimes, but so do I. So it happens. I do think that for your own safety and protection, because you are dealing, you're you're just unnoticeable. I think YouTube is indifferent towards you for the most part, unless you're very select in a very, very, very select group. I think it's just indifferent, which is good, which is neither good nor bad. Because if, if they were actively against you, that would be bad. If they're actively promoting you, I guess that would be good. But I think it's just indifferent. If you're there and you want to, you know, play by their rules, you can be successful or not. And if you don't want to be there, you don't have to. Uh, they don't really care. They just want to make sure people are there. They don't really care if it's you or not. So you're welcome to show up and try to, you know, be successful, whatever that means to you. And you're welcome not to do that. And I think that can sometimes feel bad. It can feel like, well, they don't care. But in my view, it's kind of nice because it's like, yeah, it's just I'm free to do my thing. <laughs> I'm not going to violate terms of service or anything and, you know, do anything harmful. And, you know, no one's out to actively necessarily help, but they're also not out to actively hurt. However, because you are that faceless, unknown, just sort of irrelevant blip on their radar, I do think that it might be helpful to act in a way as if maybe they are against you, not because they actually are, but because that's going to put you in a mindset of not relying on, oh, if something goes wrong, I they'll fix it immediately. You know, uh, Kevin, the basic filmmaker, lost his whole channel for a month or over a month. And that was like as fast as they could get it back at that point in time. And he was frustrated, but appreciative that they got it back in a month. Because in the past, that could have taken six months or a year or never. But that's, you know, that's kind of scary. And knowing stuff like that can happen. And you, you're not going to be their top priority if something goes wrong. So branching out, having, you know, 
whatever that might mean. This is all the cliche stuff. Have an email list, have your own website, you know, uh, set up revenue streams that go outside of YouTube. Don't rely on YouTube for everything and everything. But, you know, I, I talked about Joel Haver last week, who I am still <laughs> quite obsessed with his work. And he has, this is sort of a thing. I kind of mentioned, I touched on this a little bit last week. So when it comes to YouTube, everybody can do it differently. And to me, that's what I really love about it. Some people can dive in and, you know, want to to make just the, the edgiest, craziest content in the world. They might not get monetized on YouTube, but they could find other ways of earning revenue. Other people want to jump in and be super brand friendly and get every possible sponsorship and every freebie that comes their way. Other people just want to upload their family videos. Some people want to hire a team. Some people want to do everything themselves. And none of those is necessarily better or worse than the other. They're all just different and they're all just as valid on the platform. Everybody has the ability to do it however they want. And that, to me, is why it is so exciting is because you can join YouTube and you can say, okay, this is how I'm doing it. This is how I've seen success. And you can see huge success. And then I can join and say, this is how I want to do it. And I could see success my way too. And that to me is just really exciting because when has something like that ever happened before? Like that that ability. But speaking of Joel, <laughs> um, I, I compared him to MKBHD last week because uh, M- Marquez Brownlee said that on all of the different platforms, he wants each one to be its own picture. So if you only follow him on Twitter, you get a complete picture. If you only follow him on Instagram, you get a complete tw- picture. Uh, YouTube, obviously complete picture. Whereas Joel's like, I don't care about any of those other things. I just care about YouTube because I like to make films and I put them on YouTube. And those are two very different viewpoints, but they're also incredibly valid viewpoints. And I've heard now, I've listened to several interviews with Joel where people will say, "What you don't necessarily want to put all your eggs in one basket. Like you really should diversify. Don't just do everything on YouTube. And his response so far has pretty much been like, yes. I understand that. However, YouTube is really big and it's probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. I mean, unless something insane happens. So the platform disappearing is probably not currently something to worry about. And so he just kind of, you know, does the best he can. Now, something happening to you on the platform, you getting demonetized, your channel getting taken down, hacked, whatever, that is a thing that could happen. And so that's the thing to, to look out for, um, to be aware of, you know, be that that's probably the riskiest part of putting all your eggs in the YouTube basket. But of course, then he just does Patreon on the outside. But I found that interesting because people are always saying like, do that, you know, post on everything, be on everything. And that can be very overwhelming. And you can find yourself spread really too thin. And then I don't know, you're probably just not making your best work. Whereas if you're just like, I make videos on YouTube, that's what you can focus on. You can focus on building a community on that platform. You can focus on, you know, really understanding what that audience wants, how that platform works, literally even the technical stuff of what kinds of video files look better than others. You're not trying to just be everything to everyone all the time. But if you want to do that and you want to jump all over and be all over everything, you can do that too. That's what's exciting about it is it it really is up to you. It's not like, well, Tom does it this way, so I have to do it that way. Or this person does it this way. It's what makes the most sense to you. And then that's fine. 
And sometimes that means doing it in a way that you haven't seen other people do it before, which can be scary because it feels like you're doing it wrong if there's not a template or a model. But it, it's just because you're probably doing things your own way and you can definitely still be successful. We're probably going to come back around <laughs> to that topic in a second. So when it comes to the YouTube and creator relationship, the platform to the creator, I think it's actually pretty great. I mean, I've gotten a lot, I've gotten a career and a wife out of YouTube, so I am happy and I've paid $0 for my account. So, you know, it's worth it for me, but I also understand that it's largely indifferent. If I have an emergency, I'm not going to be their top priority to get that taken care of. That's definitely scary. There's definitely pockets and cultures on YouTube that do not align with what I'm out to do. And that can sometimes feel uncomfortable or it can, you know, if somebody makes it in the news because crazy YouTuber did crazy, terrible thing. And then you tell someone that you make YouTube videos for a living or, or a side thing that can reflect poorly on you. And that's not great. But for the most part, it's like, hey, it's like the universe, right? The universe just being indifferent towards you. Yeah, show up and, you know, do do whatever you want to do or or not. Uh, whatever, like <laughs> there's other stuff happening that the universe is concerned with. It's not just about you. I feel like YouTube's kind of the same thing. It's not just about you. It's it's about, you know, the platform as a whole. You can play a part in that or not. Just, you know, understand whatever your strategy is, whatever feels best for you. Understand any risks you might be putting yourself into and don't base everything on YouTube. If you're like, this is where all my work is going and I'm only going to monetize via AdSense, that is probably not a great idea, but otherwise I think you're, you're pretty good. So thank you, Matt Porter 32 for that topic idea. That was a good one. I feel, I feel like it could have, maybe that could have been a whole show, but I did want to talk about a few others that I think are related. So I picked these three topics because I think they connect in a great way. Um, Michael Sladek at M Sladek photo gave a topic idea that was engaging with community, engaging with your community online, just that's that that is a topic. I think that's a hugely important topic. And I I have a lot of thoughts, personal experience, and maybe some ideas to share that can help you. So first and foremost, when it comes to engaging with your community online, if you have a community, that should be one of the most important things that you do. And I know I just spent some time saying everyone can do it their own way. Sure. I guess you could ignore your community. But if you if you really want to build something that that has a strong foundation, it's very tough to do it by yourself. Because when you think about that, you're building something, you're you're making something, you're sharing it out there. And if it's just about you, I made this here, share it, look at me, and you never talk to anyone else about it, you never show gratitude towards the people who are appreciative of it, you never engage with them how are people going to connect with that? I'm sure they still could, or they'll make assumptions about things that, you know, oh yeah, they like what we do. You know, I guess you go see a movie in the movie theater and you don't necessarily hear the creators of that movie saying like, wow, thanks theater audience. Like we're so appreciative of this specific theater in your town, you know, but you just kind of assume like, yeah, they're getting, they're getting revenue. That's probably a good thing. Right. I think building, what I have noticed, I guess I should say, let's put it this way. Anecdotally, what I've noticed when channels grow a lot, YouTube channels grow a lot, the algorithm can play a huge part in it. 
But more often than not, what I have seen is it is the community. So it might be like a smaller channel has a really strong community. And then that community, because, you know, your community's whatever size, kind of small. And then it grows a little bit. But then those people are super excited. Even if there's not a ton of them, they're super excited about what you do. So they start sharing it around. The community gets a little bigger. Those people share it. Kind of sounds like you're running an MLM pyramid scheme, but you're not. You're just running your YouTube channel. And everybody, it just kind of slowly grows that way. But it, it does have the, the potential for exponential growth that way. And it's all based on a community that's actually excited about what you do. And the other thing is, Sometimes for channels, we've seen, you know, we've all seen like the algorithm kick in and a channel can, you know, gain tens or hundreds of thousands of subscribers in a very short amount of time. And it's always exciting to see when that happens. But what's always interesting, sometimes good, sometimes bad, is after that, how the channel fares, you know, um, because sometimes it's like, wow, this channel had explosive growth. And then now they have, you know, they went from having say 5,000 subscribers to 500,000, that's amazing. But a month later, they haven't really grown. And the stuff that they post doesn't really get a lot of interaction. You see this a lot when there's like big shout outs and a channel will jump up, you know, some huge channel shouts out a smaller channel, that channel then jumps 20 or 30,000 subscribers in a day, but their video views stop or go down. And now it's hurt the channel because the audience is there's a quote-unquote audience there, but no one's actually engaging with it because it wasn't the right content for them. And then the platform's like, well, I don't know what you're doing, but you've got all these people here. Now they're not interested in it, so your stuff is just, it's not a priority to share with other people. When there is a community that's excited about what happens, the channel can see that pop of growth and then sustain because that community feels like they have also won. It's not like, it's not like you left them. They came with you on the journey. Now they're here and it's like, whoa, like this thing we're excited about is even bigger now and there's more people here and, and more people join in and they see this this community around it. Like, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. The other day I got a, a comment on one of my videos that said something like, uh, stop with the stupid puns and just get to the stupid review. <laughs> I, I posted it on, I normally just delete stuff like that. I don't make a thing out of it, but I, because like dumb jokes have become such a part of the DNA of my channel. It was so funny to me to see someone who, who was so mad by them, like go watch a different video, you know? Uh, but he was so mad that the jokes were in there. And the other thing that I thought was really funny was the video that that was on had something, I forget how many, tens of thousands of views. Like it's a pretty decent, it's performed well. It has, I don't know, 600 comments, we'll say. Basically all of which are either like, thanks for the info, here's an added point to what you were saying, or probably a third of the comments are referencing dumb jokes and puns. Like, you know, either making their own jokes or goofing around on like the jokes that I made in the video. And so this guy basically walked in <laughs> Obviously, this was not how analytical he was. We walked into a thing where it's like, look at all these people. They're enjoying this thing. Hey, stop it. And it's like, no, this is just not for you, dude. And that's, you know, <laughs> when there's a community like that, when, when you join in on something, a channel grows, more people are drawn to it, 
they go in and they see that it's not just a barren wasteland of spam comments, but they see that there's people engaging and doing something. In in this example I gave you, the person did not have those critical thinking skills. But if you, a, a smart, intelligent person, obviously, because you're listening to this podcast, but if you were to go into that situation and go to a channel and see people seeming to have a good time and being engaged in the audience or in the comments, you're probably going to go, huh, there's like a pretty positive community here. There's not a bunch of spam. There's not a bunch of hate stuff. There's not a bunch of negativity. It's just people like seem like they're really excited about this video. And then that might make you more interested in what's happening here. And you'll go, oh, dang, like, let's go watch other videos. Look, now I understand somebody said this thing in one of the comments that was a joke or that was a reference to this other thing that only people in this community would understand because they're all into it. It's sort of it's like that feeling, that vibe. That's what's going to sustain and grow a channel. So th there's so much importance to community. And then going off of, you know, Heather's been talking about this a lot lately, but there's the thousand true fans theory. You really only need a thousand true fans to be able to sustain whatever you're creating and putting out there as a business. A thousand true, like super fans. And Heather even takes that a step further. And she's been talking about this on her streams a lot lately thinking that it's probably like really if you just want like decent middle class stuff you probably need like a hundred true fan fan supporters in your community like hardcore people and then you're set very achievable you know getting millions seems unachievable getting thousands seems unachievable getting a hundred people behind something that seems pretty achievable and that and that's really well you have this tight-knit community those are the people who can want to support you those are the people that they're going to give you an idea of what you want to make and what what direction to go in because you know you can literally picture who it's for like you know having work I've been thinking so much and working so much on my podcasting course because it comes out this week shameless plug but also when I first did it and then I pr I did a pre-order before I actually made the course it was almost like a kickstarter kind of a thing the people who signed up for that I I knew who they were and then as I was actually making the course, I'm literally picturing those people going through it. What will they need help with? What will they like? What will they not like? You know, what will they connect with? What won't they? And hopefully that has made the course stronger because even though there's a lot of diversity and it, it's a, not everyone in that group is the same, there's clearly something that like a common thread that runs through everybody in it. And if I can create something that works for them, then it should appeal to other people like them out in the world. Not everybody, but people like that. And that's kind of what you're doing with your community is you're, when you have a solid community, you know who you're making your stuff for. And then the other people who don't even know that they would be a good fit for that community, they can find it and then, and then be pulled in. So anyway, community, hugely important and engaging with that community obviously is hugely important simple ways just replying to comments replying to messages there's kind of two sides to this i guess because there's the part where if you're just starting out or you're not too big on a platform or whatever there's not going to be a ton of opportunity you know if you've done live streaming especially if you started live streaming when your channel wasn't too big you might have done a live stream when literally nobody is watching and so it's like hey i'm live engaging with the chat there's nobody in the chat <laughs> like what do we do uh you know you might do like i'll do a q a episode but then you get no cues to a so at first it can be hard but there's if you just keep at it and what you're making is not objectively terrible people will show up maybe it's just one or two 
small handful of people, but they'll be there. And then you interact with them. You talk to them, you get to know them, you respond to them, not in an artificial way, not in a like, I'm just using you to grow my empire kind of a way, but like you legit engage with them. And hopefully if you're making something you're excited about, the people who join in that community are people you actually would enjoy, you know, engaging with. If you make something you hate, the people who like it are probably going to be people who drive you crazy. And then you're not going to want to, you're not going to deal with, with that anymore. Case in point, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. One of the most popular videos on my channel is how to convert your VHS tapes to digital. And I explained I had a giant tub of VHS tapes that was kind of just rotten away. And I wanted to preserve those. A lot of home movies, you know, relatives and stuff that have passed away. They're all there. Childhood memories. So I found uh, there's a bunch of different ways to do this. I found like an $80 Elgato uh, video capture thingy to convert your VCR and your old analog tapes to digital. Kind of talk about that, talk about the process, how to do it, why you might want to do it. That video is incredibly popular. <laughs> and it's like, wow, there's clearly like a, a niche here for bringing older technology, older media into like the modern times. However, I never want to make another video like that. I've gotten some incredibly great feedback from that video. Um, like some people have left long stories. Um, it's some people have left crazy stuff like, you know, they are glad that they can now rewatch stuff that they thought had been lost. They can hear people's voices they haven't heard. The biggest one that stands out is somebody who had never met his father, collected some tapes that like his, uh, that a relative had. He got the thing that I recommended, digitized them and then could see and hear his dad for the first time in his life, like what his dad sounded like and see his mannerisms and his movements and and find that there was like a connection. You know, he recognized himself in his dad. He'd never seen that before. That was amazing. Like talking to somebody like that, even though I'm just essentially doing an equipment review video, that was huge. It's also been a lot of tech support <laughs> and a lot of people who are like, this one's $80. What about the cheaper ones? And I'm like, hey, there's a reason I said don't get the cheaper ones. They suck. Get this one. It's worth it. Um, so there's a lot of tech support. What do I do? How do I burn a DVD? This kind of stuff. That's fine. But there's also this weird, I shouldn't say weird, this surprising faction of people who are VHS fanatics that that video has brought out of the woodwork. Nothing wrong with that. Cool. Awesome. I have a record player sitting on the table behind me. Like I understand different forms of physical media have different meanings to people, but that video has been up for like two years, maybe two and a half years. And I have gotten so many messages from people who are telling me, I don't know what I'm talking about because VHS tapes will never degrade. The digital ones look so much worse. 10,000 reasons why I'm wrong. And VHS is the best form of media ever, which like objectively it's not. It just isn't. <laughs> it is not the highest quality. It's not the best sounding. It's not the best looking period, like objectively. But if you like it, you like it. That's fine. It has been so, and that's not a, let's put it this way. That's not a community that I want to engage with more because it's, uh, it's not that I wouldn't want to engage with somebody who's into VHS stuff. That's awesome. I don't want to engage with people who are militant about it's 2021 and anyone who says VHS tapes aren't great is just terrible and wrong. No, thank you. So 
I could make probably more successful videos in that area. Not going to do that because definitely not the community for me. Going into like, I never expected my channel to kind of veer towards streaming and podcasting and that sort of stuff. But half of the reason it is, is not just because I'm interested in it, but because the community around that stuff, which includes you, is so fantastic because it's people who are interested in making stuff, people who are making stuff, people who have ideas, who are driven by curiosity, who are open to, you know, critical thinking and problem solving, creative problem solving, all the stuff that I like and all the stuff that excites me, that's who's into that stuff. And so I like making those videos because the people that the the videos bring in are people that I would want to interact with. And so it, it helps build this community. So it sustains me because I can keep interacting without feeling exhausted. I can also come up with more ideas to serve that specific community. And I don't have to, you know, fake anything. It's not fake manners or anything. It's just, I am super excited to talk to everyone about dumb jokes and microphones and whatever live streaming equipment. It's really cool. So, you know, your community can be the thing that revitalizes you. Now, it can be tricky as you grow, and it doesn't even take that much, but it's not like you have to be super huge, but you'll just start getting more messages and more comments and things like that. And it's it's tough. I, I gotta say, like, I probably should have stopped trying to reply to everything months ago. Probably around the time my channel was around 30,000, I was getting a lot of emails, a lot of messages, a lot of comments, and trying to reply to all of them was too much. (laughs) Now the channel's 64,000, which is still not like ginormous in the YouTube world. I think YouTube still literally considers that a small channel. But it's every day, like every every inbox, every con is just filled with stuff. And I'm still trying to respond to everyone. And I know I can't keep that up much longer. And it's not to be like, wow, look how popular I am at all these messages. It's just, it's just a, a, an issue of scale. Like more people see it, more people are going to communicate. Um, and people like that. I actually respond just yesterday. Someone's like, "Whoa, I didn't think you'd respond. Like most people don't reply to people, but I'm like, you took the time to watch my video and then share a thought that wasn't terrible. <laughs> Like, I'm going to respond to that. That just, it's just manners, right? But I know that's not possible for everything. So it kind of comes down to then what do I, I can't just say I'm not responding to anything. And I know some people do that. For me, that doesn't work. So it's sort of what community do I want to respond to? Um, Going into YouTube and just saying, okay, maybe every time somebody says, great video, I loved it. That might not warrant a reply. But when somebody adds something new to the conversation, hey, I didn't know you could do this, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that warrants a reply. If it's a tech support question, normally that's a thing I would answer. If someone's like, hey, but how do I connect the thing with the other thing? Normally I jump in and say, oh, you need this thing for that thing and the other thing. Maybe I don't do that anymore. Maybe I let somebody else do that or they could just go to Google and get an answer. It's always funny when people are like, hey, this video about the roadcaster or whatever, how much does it cost? Google it, like, or click the link in the thing. It'll it'll show you what. Anyway, it's always confusing to me when that happens. But <laughs> um, but then there's you know the actual conversations you can have. The actual sometimes you know, I don't know they're just the stuff where you can decide that you want to focus on. But prioritizing stuff, like I think for me, at least for the time being, YouTube comments are going to be something that I focus on a lot because 
my YouTube channel is my main thing and growing that community is really important and I can't do that if I'm not engaging and interacting with that community. So I'd rather not respond to a Twitter message or an email and respond to YouTube stuff to, to build that community up there. But it, it's tough because you want to, it doesn't take long before you start getting a lot of feedback. And obviously your brain is really not designed to get that level of feedback constantly. Fortunately, most of what I get is positive. So that's a very good thing. But it's a lot, it's a lot of feedback. And even little things when people say like, oh, you have that weird lisp. And I'm like, what? Now, every time, what? I, I've never heard this. Do I have a speech impediment? I didn't know about this. You know, or, or you look like this person or ah, your background is too blurry. Every little thing just kind of goes into your brain and you're, you know, you're just not necessarily equipped to deal with that level of feedback constantly. And so there, there's a very fine line between building the community, blocking out the feedback that's hurting you, which could even be positive stuff. It just could be too much feedback and prioritizing what it is that you want to prioritize, prioritize, which is, which is tough. And as you grow too, I think what I'm learning right now is that not every, is that my stuff's not for everyone. It really seems, and I'd heard this was the case and it seems like it is people I've known in the past whose channels had just sort of like steady growth, kind of like mine has, like it definitely ticked up, but it's not been, you know, I didn't go from 5,000 to 500,000 a month or anything. It's just been pretty steady. It's been good. It's kind of what I've heard other people say is around 45, 50,000 subscribers is where you start really feeling like, oh, there's people coming in that aren't my people. <laughs> and I've, no I've noticed that really seems to be about the case. Around 50,000, there's more, there's more negativity. There's more demanding stuff. There's more just like, I don't, I don't know. It like, there's just more people who aren't like the core community that had been growing and building, but there's also new people joining that community. It's just because the numbers are going up and, and more people are, are seeing it. So I look at that as a good thing because it means that the stuff I'm making is getting put out to a larger audience. And so more people are being exposed to it. More people are coming in and it's just not going to be for everybody, but for you as a creator, you're still on the receiving end of it the same way you've always been. So it, you know, it, it can be tough. I guess what I'm trying to say there is your community is the thing that's going, that can build you, sustain you, support you, all that stuff. But it, it's definitely a juggling act between how much you want to engage, how you want to engage. There's also a thing, Heather and I were just talking this week, sometimes boundaries can be crossed. Um, I think we've all heard that, but even not, not necessarily even anything like creepy or terrible or, or like that, but you know, you give someone an inch and they take a mile kind of a situation. You maybe reply to one or two things or help somebody out with something. And now it's like, you're just their full-time support person, which is not the case, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, it's tricky, but community and engaging with the community is just that's just so important. And, it, and it, it can be so great for feedback. I've been really loving using polls on both YouTube and I guess, you know, everything, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, polls are awesome because you get so much, if you ask a question, if you say, hey, should I do this thing? You'll get responses. But if you make, if you can make your question into a poll, you're going to get so many more responses because 
it's easier. People just scroll through, they see the thing, boop, I'll just click my answer. But also it's fun. Like people like to click polls. They like to see the numbers. They like to see the results. Is the thing I pick going to be the thing everybody else picked? So little things like that, like just engaging with your community, being open, you know, being being yourself with your community, showing them that the person they see and the work that you make is also the person who's talking to them is huge and, and engaging with your community, wildly, wildly important. And you can only engage with your community if you have content. So this is my smooth transition. And actually, wait, I'm using the Shure SM7B, which if I'm not mistaken, is the microphone that Michael Jackson used to record Smooth Criminal. So I'm going to smoothly transition in a way that's so good it could be a crime. Smooth Criminal. To talking about quality and quantity. So at Jetpack Picks, which I really like that username. Uh, suggested on Instagram to do a topic on quality and quantity and when does each matter. So not the stereotypical, well, quality versus quantity, which one is it? But they're both things that anyone who creates stuff is going to have, is going to encounter. And they both matter, but they matter differently and they matter at different times. So kind of let's dive into that a little bit to round out this episode. And I feel like I might have a an unpopular opinion, which is probably not the answer I would have given a couple years ago. Let's see. <clears throat> I want to. I want to like. Uh, I want to speak accurately here as much as possible, knowing that my thoughts could change in the future as new evidence and experiences make their way into my world. However, okay, quality and quantity are both important things. And if you're somebody who creates something, anything, and puts it out there, there, at one point you'll lean towards one or the other. Obviously, the thing everybody wants to do is create a lot of really good stuff, but that's really difficult to do and a lot of times not practical or sustainable or anything like that. So you kind of have to lean towards, well, I can make a bunch of quick and easy videos or I can make one really, really intense, really good video. You know, that kind of a thing. I can make... I could totally do three videos a week every week, but are you going to sacrifice your sanity for that sort of stuff? Or does it, you know, does it matter? I have a friend who has an interior design channel and his channel has blown up a lot lately. And he, just because of who he is, is really into making things, you know, look and sound high produced. So investing in good equipment, paying attention to lighting, paying attention to sound, looking really good, you know, that's what you would want, right? But he's also very honest when we talk about that and saying that his audience honestly doesn't care. Like the other people in his niche, they don't have super pro setups. It doesn't, you know, when you're in the photo video niche, like people expect you to look good. People expect it to sound good. If your camera goes out of focus for a second, it's like, what? If your audio is a little bad, it's how, oh my gosh, your credibility. In other niches like this one, interior design, they don't care. They want they want the info. They want it to be easy to listen to and look nice, but they're not even paying attention to that kind of thing. So he realizes that he wants it to look good, but sometimes he can say like, ah, it's good enough for now. And it's still going to be better than almost anyone else in the niche, but it's also going to be more than fine for his audience because that's not what they're there for. That's not what they're even paying attention to. So sometimes you can definitely, you know, get stuck on quality in, in areas that it doesn't really matter. I heard um, it was Randy Pausch. So if you've never heard, if you never read the last lecture, 
Highly recommend it. You can go watch a YouTube video. Randy Pausch was a computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon University. He got pancreatic cancer in 2007 and passed away in 2008. And in the fall of 2007, when he was still healthy enough to do so, he gave a talk at Carnegie Mellon called The Last Lecture because they just happened to have a lecture series called like The Last Lecture. And it was, you know, if you were dying and this was your last time to share things with the world, what would you say? He was actually dying and gave, it's, it's a really, really great. You can go on YouTube, type in Last Lecture, watch it. It's worth it. I've watched it, you know, a dozen times over the years. There's also a book version which is really, really good. Anyway, it's a lot of like life lessons and stuff like that. And he at one point talks about not spending time waxing the underside of a banister. So like when you're trying to like focus your energy and do something and manage your time, like don't spend time waxing the underside of a banister. And I've always struggled with that because I've heard that expression elsewhere. I think that's where I heard it first was from him. But I'm always somebody who like prides myself on quality and and I just pry on anything, video, whatever. Like, I know that maybe no one's going to notice this little thing that I do in a video or this little change that I made here, but I know that it made it like slightly, slightly better. Same thing goes if I'm cleaning something, I'm cleaning a bathroom. No one's going to look at the back of the toilet or whatever, but I'll polish it and clean it or, you know, whatever it is. Like, I know that I have spent time doing stuff that nobody's going to notice, but there's something about. For me, knowing that I did it as good as possible is really, really gratifying. Maybe no one else will ever know about it, but for me, it's really gratifying. But it can take a lot of time. And I think when you're in the world of creating some kind of content, being aware of that is really important. So being aware that, you know, in this case, literally no one will ever know or care if I put in I could spend an extra hour doing something and no one will ever know. And if that's going to be something that that gives you personal fulfillment and value, then then you should spend the time on it because that's a valid reason. But if not, if you're fine with it and you know nobody's going to notice, then good enough is good enough, right? Like that's that's kind of a way to look at it. So here's my controversial opinion. Generally speaking, at least to people who'd be listening to this podcast, I lean towards qua. Oh my God, I messed it up. <laughs> this is where I would edit it out if I were a more professional person, but it actually fits in perfectly because I was going to say I would lean towards quantity over quality. Irony. Uh, there we go. I think. Having gone through this, one of the best things about YouTube, I'm having a lot of thoughts right now, is that it has helped me to deal with my perfectionism. Prior to doing YouTube, I would spend months on a single video project, which again, like no one would even see because I didn't have a YouTube channel. So who even cares how much time you spend on it? But I would literally spend months on something. And that's just how I thought it had to be. And then starting a YouTube channel, I was like, oh, you could do this a lot quicker. And then early on, I did 30 videos in 30 days. And I was like, holy cow, I'd can make a video from scratch and upload it every day. I wake up not even knowing what it's going to be. That's very different than spending months on something. Those 30 videos, for example, not all of them are great, but I still like a lot of them. And I had fun with all of them. And it was a very difficult thing. The amount of skill, the amount of experience that I got in that 30 days 
probably would have taken me at least six months otherwise to get to the point where I was after that. But because it was instead of being so precious with every little thing and making sure it's perfect, it was just next thing, next thing, like move, move, move. And, you know, I know that that's not always the best way to handle stuff. But for you as a creator, like, I feel like you get so much more out of finishing, uh, completing a project than spending so much time on something. I, I would I just think there's a lot of value and something is done and it's out and especially when it comes to things that are online you don't really know the value that people are going to get out of it I think almost everybody I know who has a YouTube channel has the story of the video that they spent so much time and energy on doesn't do very well for me for example the video that one of my favorite videos is about my trip to Iceland where I mean I didn't go to Iceland to make this video but I made a video you could say that I traveled all the way to Iceland. I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on this trip, made this video. It's been up for two and a half years and it doesn't even have 2000 views. Like it's, it's not doing well. It's one of my lowest viewed videos on, on my channel. I think everybody has, most YouTube creators have that thing where it's like, I spent so much time on this. I worked so hard on this. Nobody watched it. At the same time, the video that you put no effort into, for a long time, my most popular video was literally an Apple Watch comparison that took me 90 minutes from start to finish. I had an idea like, hmm, I should do this. Made the video, put it up. That was the first video I ever had that like went semi-viral and for a long time was the most popular video on my channel. Almost no time <laughs> and like effort put into it and super popular. And I think, you know, I think there's something to be said for that, at least online on things like YouTube, because people do connect with authenticity. And oftentimes, the more time you spend polishing and perfecting something, people can appreciate that. But it can almost feel too manufactured sometimes, whereas something that's a little imperfect, a little like rough around the edges feels more real. And maybe that's what people connect with. Maybe also because you just have an idea, you act on it, you execute, and then you put it out there. You don't have time to, to second guess yourself all the time. I, In my days of Simpsons commentaries, I used to listen to those constantly when they first came out. And there's so many times that the writers will see a joke and then wonder, like, uh, I wonder if they'll, they'll see a joke in an episode and they'll say that like, mm, that's not really the best joke. I wonder if a really good joke got cut because it wasn't funny the 49th time, meaning that they write the episode, they put in a joke. It's hilarious. They do it at a table read. It's hilarious. The recording, the editing, it's funny, funny, funny. But after they've seen it 48 times, the 49th time, they're like, mm, I don't know if that joke's funny anymore. And they switch it out with something else that's new and fresh and funny, but actually isn't as good. They've just grown like desensitized to it. And I think that's something that can happen when you spend a lot of time working on something is you put something in, you're so excited, it's so great. And then you spend so much time on it that you stop, you stop remembering why it was good and you overdo it a little too much. And then you, you fix it or you replace it with something which feels better, not necessarily because it's better, but just because it's new, it's fresh to you. And then you put that out there but what you had first might have actually been the better thing. It's like that, you know, when you take a test and you fill in the bubble and then you start second guessing yourself, how many times did you get your test back where the one you ended up marking second is wrong and the one that had the eraser mark on it would have been the correct answer. I feel like most of us have had that experience and this is sort of that same thing. 
So if you're just like getting stuff out there, at least when it comes to the world of YouTube and that sort of thing, I think you, you're you're in this flow state almost where people can connect with it in a way that is, they just feel the authenticity. They feel the connection. It feels real. It's clearly, you know, it was on your mind. Maybe it's on their mind. And that's what helps you connect without trying to be overly precious with everything. Now, the caveat here is this only works if you have high standards. So that's why I did say, hey, this applies to people who are listening to this podcast. I've known people who have had YouTube channels for years and uploaded hundreds of videos and seen like no success by any measure, by their own, by standard metrics. You know, there's no growth. There's no viewership. There's no community. There's not even like production quality improvements. It's just like a flat line the whole time. So it's it's not just about producing a mass of garbage, but if you're somebody who who already has high standards, you already want to do the best job possible, you're already going to put in the effort to make things good, you already know that when you have an idea or a problem, you're going to find a solution to it. If you're that kind of person, even your not greatest is still probably going to be pretty good. And so if you already have high standards, meaning that you know nothing you release is going to be terrible because you won't let it be, then focus on quantity over quality. Because it's awesome if you have that one video that you spent six months on and you're super proud of it and you know it's your, it's your magnum opus or whatever you want to call it. But people are going to find that and they're going to go, this video is so good. What else is on this channel? Oh, nothing. And then they're going to leave. Instead of seeing a video, it's like, I really like this video. This is cool. Let me go to this channel. Oh, there's hundreds or thousands of other videos here. This is my new favorite channel now. This is like, how does this person do that? Going back to, to Joel Haver, who it makes me so happy to see someone see his level of, uh, I, I guess, I don't want to say success because it is success, but not just because his, I like seeing someone who's been launched up into the the realm of giant YouTube channels who has a very different definition of what success means. That's inspiring to me. And he happily preaches quantity over quality. And I feel like we know what we mean when we say no quality over quantity. We want our stuff to be good. We have high standards. Cool. But if we've already established that your standards are high and you're not going to do a bad job at anything that you do, because that's not who you are, then just make as much stuff as you can. Not, I'm not talking about like, you know, hustle culture or burn yourself out or anything, but if you can spend three days on one video or three days on three videos, do the three videos, like that, that kind of a thing. And then take a break and go do something else and, and be a person and everything. But you're going to, you just learn so much from that whole process of start to finish making something and then putting it out there and then starting on the next project. It's just, your, your growth is just going to be so much greater than if you stick with one thing for a long time and try to imagine like, okay, I'm going to make every frame absolute perfection of this video or every second of this podcast is going to be audio, you know, bliss because it's so good and just do the best you can and, and then move on to the next thing. And that's what happens. So, uh, I, it's been really fun personally to embrace the idea of quantity over quality. Again, not speaking about hustle culture, not speaking about, uh, you know, 
if you have terribly low standards. But if you want to maintain a good balance and you know when to say no, when to turn it off, that kind of stuff, and you already have high standards, just focus on quantity. That's what's really going to help. That's what's going to help you grow. That's what's going to be good. That's what's going to be more fun because then you're not just doing one thing. You're doing new things and being excited about new stuff. So uh, that's what I have to say about that. (laughs) I don't know why I decided to quote Forrest Gump all of a sudden. But thank you to everybody who uh, gave me those topics. Those are all things that have been bubbling around in my brain, and I didn't know how to put them together. And then when you guys sent in stuff that that was connected, it kind of let me think, hey, look, these are all sort of interconnected things that anybody who creates stuff online, whether it's YouTube, podcast, full-time, part-time, whatever, these are all things that I think we've thought about, things that you're always not necessarily struggling with, but just working on and working through and figuring out, navigating, I guess might be a better term. And no, it's a fun discussion to have. So I'd love to know your thoughts. If you want to share them, you can always reach out to me at SoDarnTom on all the things. Send me an email in the contacts below. I'd, I like knowing, speaking of community, it's very tough to leave comments on a podcast. Um, so it's nice when I get the feedback because it, it does make it feel more two ways. Last thing before we go, if you do want to support this show and, you know, totally voluntary. There's a couple ways you can do that, either through Patreon, which is a link in the description, patreon.com slash Tom Buck, or just YouTube channel memberships. The stuff that's posted on both of those is exactly the same. So your perks are basically the same. Um, I will get better at my spiel of pitching these, but it's been fun so far. So for the past like month and a half that I've kind of had them both going, it's actually been pretty good. Um, In terms of what you get, it's basically the same. Uh, YouTube is more integrated with YouTube. So you get a fancy little badge. It says TB by your name and it changes colors. The longer that you're every month that you're a member, it changes colors. <laughs> I think you have to be six months and then you get like the official blue. I've also made these custom emojis you can use. I made like a roadcaster one, I made a pod mic one. I made a, <laughs> I made one of the, uh, NW 800, the gold condenser microphone that is now like the meme microphone on my channel. Uh, So that's kind of fun. If you're on YouTube a lot, YouTube memberships might work really well. Um, It's probably the easiest to engage through the comments. Patreon is obviously like you might already be on Patreon or do that. I do get more money directly. Patreon takes like an 8 to 10% cut. YouTube takes a 30% cut. So the tier prices are the same. The stuff that's posted is the same. So uh, if you want to support, those are different ways. The main reason I'm bringing that up too, not just to shamelessly self-promote, but is when I post the video versions of these podcasts, which I've been doing every week, uh, you do get them a little earlier, but it's a video so you can leave comments like a normal video. And it's it's kind of nice to like, hey, we can actually talk about the episode and talk about the topics here. Um, that's been really, really fun. I don't know that I'm gonna do a video version for every single one, but so far I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. So, And it's not too terribly difficult to add on to the uh, the production process here. So anyway... If you want to support for now, instead of ads or anything like that, I'm just doing the old Patreon and channel membership. So take your pick or don't. You totally don't have to because I am just happy that you're listening to the show. So let's see here. That is pretty much that. I have so many things I have to do now because I have to play the outro music. I have to say that I'm really grateful for you being here. And 
I appreciate your time and I hope to see you next time. And then I play the outro logo. <laughs> I'm doing the video version and the audio version. All right, have a great week. I'll see you later.